Welcome to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. Biblical illiteracy. It's hard to believe how little Christians know about the Bible. Welcome to Episode 7 of 12 Broken Bridges, New Pathways to Restore Spiritual Vitality to Your Life and to Your Church. God's Pathway to Heaven, God's pathway to abundant life is Jesus Christ, the Savior. God's bridge to introduce people to that Savior is your church and mine. But if you are the enemy of the church, the enemy in Scripture, and you wanted to derail the church in a subtle but dramatic way, what would you do? If you come face on with drama and power, it literally scares the hell out of Christians. In other words, they get it, and they want hell out of them. So that's not a very good strategy, face on. So the enemy is subtle, as the scripture says, and yet powerful like a roaring lion, like the scripture says. And so if the enemy can lull people into biblical ignorance, then churches become impotent in their mission, and the enemy wins and the church loses. And we live in a country where most of the churches have been losing for several decades. Now it's at a point where in most churches that are losing, God is getting somebody's attention. It doesn't take a church consultant or church doctor to look around the sanctuary and see how many more empty seats there are and how much more gray hair there is as opposed to crying babies and come to the conclusion that there isn't a big future for this church. Now, I'm not here today to perpetuate your institutional church, nor should you be concerned about that. But because your church represents Jesus and Jesus to people and in your community, people who desperately need Jesus, yeah, that's a big deal. And that should absolutely have your attention in spades. So the subtle approach of the enemy is to lull people into biblical illiteracy and ignorance about Scripture, to give people the idea that if they just come to church on Sundays and listen to a sermon, that, yeah, that's enough. It's not enough. It's never been enough. There's nowhere in Scripture where it says that ought to be your seven-day infusion of the Scripture. This really comes to light when you look at reality in churches today. One of the greatest issues of life and productivity is facing challenges, and there are a lot of them, as churches try to figure out what to do before they close. I saw in the Washington Post an editorial by Ed Stetzer. He's a brilliant professor at Wheaton College in Illinois, and uh, this was back a couple of years ago. He calculated that at the decline of Protestant Christianity in America, Protestants have about 22 Easter's yet to celebrate, and then there won't be any left to celebrate Easter. I love the metaphor that he uses because it gets you right where it should. It hits you right in your spiritual gut, and I hope it touches you the same way. Not because your church is an idol that has to be there forever, but because the mission is so desperately needed in our nation and in our world. Lost people do matter to God. 
Jesus died for these people. And when we're facing all these changes in the local church, it's pressure. It's true for Christians like everyone else. Even a cursory read of Scripture will tell you that Christians face a lot of challenges. We're not immune to challenges in the church. The disciples, anything you read in the New Testament, it's obvious we're not immune to challenges. Come on, let's face it. It's a sinful world, this side of heaven. Anyway, so the struggles of Christians and churches are a part of life. Get over it. Get used to it. Do something about it. We can't really do anything to avoid challenges because the enemy attends your church, not to worship, but to disrupt. And the enemy's doing a pretty good job in a lot of churches today. On the one hand, disruption. On the other hand, subtle sleeping, ignoring reality. Never a good idea. So one of the most important lessons for life is not to focus on the symptoms. This is a chronic issue for people in churches, the focus on symptom solving. When we consult churches, we see a lot of this. Over the years, we've seen Christians spin their wheels in symptom solving rather than looking at the issue behind the issue. This is one of the ways we train our consultants is that there are always issues behind the issue, and sometimes there are issues behind those issues. And your approach is like peeling an onion layer after layer until you get to the core. And sometimes there are many layers. And so people that consult churches do a great, wonderful value to churches. They contribute greatly to churches because they get to the issues behind the issues. And that's what good physicians do. If your physician treated you according to your symptoms, they would be liable for malpractice because their job is to diagnose before they make a prognosis, which is what is the real issue, and that comes before they make a prescription. I remember once when I was younger and just out of graduate school, had a PhD, thought I knew a few things, which I should never have been let out of graduate school until I was humbled to the point that I understood how much I didn't know, which I quickly did, but at first not. And so I had a pain in my abdomen on the right side. I went to the doctor. I thought, well, he's a doctor. I'm a doctor, just different kinds of doctors. So I said to the doctor, I said, I got a pain on my right side. I think it's my appendix. At that point, the physician put a thermometer in my mouth. And at that moment, I discovered that thermometers have more than one purpose. One is to take your temperature. The other is to shut your mouth. A physician does not want you diagnosing yourself. Otherwise, why are you at the doctor's office? And you're not trained to diagnose yourself anyway. And you're too close to the forest to see the trees because it's your body. And so I discovered that I had indigestion and the flu. And so if the doctor had taken out my appendix, I would have still had the flu. Luckily, the doctor gave me some medicine for the flu. And now, 40 years later, I still have my appendix. Imagine that. Well, this is a great metaphor, a great parable for me, and it's on me about myself and my arrogance that's very clearly a reflection of most churches. Our churches are filled with people who are too close to see the real issue and not properly educated to diagnose the issue behind the issue and really treat the causative issue. That's why an objective outsider who's got a lot of training can help churches just like physicians help people. And that's why we call our diagnosticians, our consultants, church doctors. 
because it is the body of Christ. And the process is identical to that of a physician who is trained to look at the human body. Well, we're equipped to look at the body of Christ. And we know the head is perfect, Jesus, but from the neck on down, oh, baby. <laughs> yeah, you already know that because you live in the real world. But behind the issue, behind the issue, there is a reoccurring causative element. You might say it's like non-nourishment. People are unnourished. So you might have other things going on that are cause of issues in your human body, but if you're undernourished, then you've got another issue that is kind of a baseline issue. In the church, that metaphor of nourishment would be biblical illiteracy. So people are starving from all that God has wisdom for them, and there might be other cause of issues that are involved in the church for which consultants can provide prescriptions, recommendations, but there is something bigger at work that is true of every church. It seems like almost every church that we've been to, this is a reality, this issue of widespread biblical illiteracy. The point is this, evidence abounds in churches at every level that so many Christians don't know much about what the Bible says. And it may be that some of them even don't care. I mean, if they cared, they'd go to one of the many Bible classes or they'd be reading their Bible regularly. Now, that's a hard thing to say, I know. And I don't mean it in a critical way at all, except it's a critical issue. I don't mean to say this to be unkind because I love the church with all of its parts and pieces and all of its warts and blemishes. But yes, the head of the body is perfect. Jesus is perfect. But the scripture makes it very clear that we are not perfect but the scripture also has all of what we need to know. So the Bible is our source of direction on so many things that occur in the church, particularly in the challenges we face on the third largest mission field in the world, the United States. When you really wanna reach people for Jesus, you really need all that the Bible wisdom can give you. When you're surrounded by secular society, and you're trying to raise kids or try to just survive or try to work through your job until retirement or whatever you're trying to do in a society that is just fraught with sinful, non-biblical behavior, you need all the Bible you can get. And hearing a weekly sermon, that's great, but it isn't gonna do it. It isn't enough. It's like being malnourished. If you ate 20 minutes a week, you're not long for this world. You're far from what we would call healthy. Spiritual health is based on feeding from the scripture, feeding on the word of God. So it helps also if you're part of a weekly Bible study, a small group where you have interaction, discussion, and learn from each other. And then the third element of this ongoing feeding is your daily Bible reading and a translation of your heart language. That can be powerful as well. So it's really like a three-part meal, the sermon, a small group Bible study, whether it's every week or every two weeks or once a month or whatever, but at least you're doing it, but your daily Bible reading and in a translation that's your heart language. Because what you consume from your Bible is food for your soul. 
and it's the soul of the church. It's the soul of the people of the church that the enemy is going after. And while you may believe in Jesus and that will get you to heaven, if you don't have that soul food, you are no earthly good for reaching your neighbor or that guy at work or that person at school or that relative that's going to die someday without Jesus if you or somebody doesn't introduce them. So according to our research, about half of Christians in most churches only hear sermons, no group Bible study. Less than that, only about one in five read the Bible at least once a week, not once a day, once a week. Other than that, they have no Bible contact. It is mind boggling, it really is. Biblical ignorance on Christian life issues is killing churches, no question about it. And here's how it works. When everything is running smooth, which never occurs 365 days a year in church, but when everything is smooth, you don't need the deep knowledge of scripture. When everything in your life is smooth, when everyone you know is a Christian is smooth, when everybody in your community is a Christian, it's smooth. But that's not life. It's definitely not life today, and it's not definitely life in this country. And when life is like that, and you have significant challenges, and you always do, when the heat comes, and it always comes, it's just so easy to default to your emotions on the one hand, or rules and regulations on the other, rather than biblical principles. And that's not good. It is just not good. Because it's in that context of real life where Bible knowledge is invaluable. And it's not just an academic knowledge, it's a personal appropriation of what God is saying to you through that scripture, every verse. No, your church doesn't need and you don't need to be a theologian, but you do need to be people you need to be a person under the scripture, that the scripture is over you, that the scripture is your leader, not your opinion, not, you know, that thing that we hear in interviews in churches. Well, I don't know what the Bible says, but I think, oh my goodness, that's a horrible thing to say. But we hear it. I mean, it, it happens. It's it said a lot. God needs us to be under scripture not just on an occasional basis, living under Scripture. Now, some people, obviously, even people in the church, are beside Scripture. They're the people who, I don't know what the Scripture says, but I think. And they may not even say it that way, but that's the way they act. And there are those who are above Scripture. I don't care what the Bible says. Really? Or by their lifestyle, they project that they don't care what the Scripture says. That's being above Scripture. Man, you don't want to do that. You absolutely don't want to go there. You do not want to live that way. You see, people who are under the scripture, when they're faced with a challenge, they quickly say, well, I wonder what the Bible says about that. I wonder what biblical principles would apply to this. I don't know them in my head, or I may not have them at the tip of my tongue, but I'm going to do some research. It's unbelievable how many people don't even know what a concordance is, and you can get it on your phone for nothing. Look up a word, find a passage, find dozens of passages. It's never been easier to study Scripture. Put the Scripture on your phone. Wherever you go, wherever you are, you can read the Scripture. Basically, being under Scripture is a profound respect for the Bible, a respect that drives a passion, a lifelong passion to know more, to learn more, to apply more, to become more to believe more, 
to impact more. Just in my own life, there are times when I miss reading the Bible a certain day. Sunday's busy when I'm home, I'm at church, I'm in Bible class, we have the kids over, whatever. I go to bed exhausted, not by the kids, but usually the grandkids. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I hear a sermon, I, I go to Bible class, and I usually don't read the Bible on a Sunday. But over the years, I've read through the Bible more times than I can count. I'm an underliner. I'm one who takes notes. Uh, it's just the way that I personally learn. doesn't mean that other people learn that way. But I started out in a, a Bible that was given to me when I was a kid, King James Version. That was tough because a lot of it didn't make sense to me. The wording is Old English, of course. Then along the way somewhere, I got a Revised Standard Version of the Bible. Then my dad, not too long before he died, came home one day with a bag of New Testament Bibles, a shopping bag full of them. Uh, they were uh, the good news for modern man, the uh, Bible in modern English, uh, the New Testament in modern English. I think the Psalms were part of it, too. And I, I looked at my dad and I said, what are you going to do with all those Bibles? I mean, like, really? And he said, I'm going to give them away at work. He said, it's just amazing. It's really understandable. Well, it wasn't long, and the Old Testament came out in the what's called the TEV, the English version, which is the Good News for Modern Man Bible. And uh, I went through that probably uh, five or six times. Then there was the New International Version. Been through that. And uh, the last four trips through the Bible have been through the message version of the Bible. It's not a study Bible, as it says right in the introduction by the translator, Eugene Peterson, a brilliant man who was a scholar at both Hebrew and Greek, but was also a pastor and wanted to make it alive for the people in his church. So it's not a study Bible. It's not the only Bible I study when I'm doing a teaching or a preaching. I used lots of them, including the Greek occasionally. I've lost my Hebrew, but I do remember the Greek enough. But I just don't have a favorite Bible because you're supposed to read the Bible in your heart language, and the heart language of people changes because language is alive, and it changes every day, and throughout years it changes a lot. And so if you ask a missionary, someone who wants to reach people in their own heart language, What's your favorite Bible? The answer is the next one. And that's the way it ought to be with you because you are a missionary. If you are a Christian, you are a missionary. If you go to church, you are a missionary. If you have friends, relatives, neighbors, people at work or school that don't know Jesus, you're a missionary or supposed to be. And so you need to know the manual. Well, here's why this is so important. And I'm going to read from the message as we look at Romans 12 verses 1 and 2. It's just so packed with stuff. This is the way the Bible is. That's why I don't get very far anytime I read my Bible. I write and read and take notes and underline and pray and, oh my goodness. And I look and I've only done a paragraph. You see, it's not the quantity, it's the quality and the application that really counts. All right, here it is. Romans 12, 1 and 2. So here's what I want you to do. This is the Apostle Paul talking to the Christians in Rome. Here's what I want you to do, he says. God helping you, take your everyday, ordinary life. 
your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Yeah, that's subordinating yourself to God and his word, all right. Yeah, that's living under that word, living under Christ. That's right. Place it as an offering before God. Embracing, he continues, embracing what God has done for you is the best thing you can do for him. You see, it's not all about what you do for him, including reading your Bible. Uh-uh. Now, it's not what you can do for God. Uh-uh. It's what God has done for you. That's the best thing you can do for him. Paul continues, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. That's where the Bible is going to help you so much. That's where you've got to be in the Bible. It's your only way of spiritual survival in this secular nation. You cannot adjust to your culture. You can't fit into that culture all around you without even thinking. So Paul continues again, fix your attention on God and you'll be changed from the inside out. You see, it's always a spiritual thing. It's always on the inside. Paul goes on, readily recognize what he, God, wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings out the best of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. And how do we grow? How do we become more mature? Feed on that word. You gotta get the people in your church to see this valuable issue behind the issue behind all the issues. Biblical illiteracy is killing churches today. Well, in our next episode, we'll look at the broken bridge of foreign language, kind of connected to what I just said about Bible translations. So we'll look at the broken bridge of foreign language. Until then, say your prayers, search your heart, search your Bible for God's pathway around your broken bridges. You have been listening to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. If you've liked this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to hear future episodes. Check out Kent Hunter's new book, Who Broke My Church? Seven Proven Strategies for Renewal and Revival, available now wherever books are sold.